It's the holiday season again. Hanukkah began this week and Christmas and Kwanzaa are just around the corner. And with these winter holidays comes a diverse range of celebrations. I'm Indiana News Desk anchor Joe Wren and today on Noon Edition, we'll speak with historical, religious and folklore experts about the histories and traditions surrounding winter holidays. And we want to hear about your holiday traditions. Maybe you break out the same recipe each year or host a family gathering. We invite you to join the conversation and share your traditions after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Indiana News Desk anchor Joe Wren. In today for Bob Salzberg. Oh, wow. What a way to start, huh? (laughs) I'm here today with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and today we're talking about the winter holidays with Hanukkah beginning this week and Christmas and Kwanzaa just around the corner. It's a time of diverse holiday celebrations. And with those celebrations comes a history of holiday traditions. Today on Noon Edition, we'll discuss the winter holidays, their histories, and the traditions we've created. We are joined by a panel of historical, religious, and folklore experts. Rabbi Ron Klotz is the director of the Center for Informal Jewish Education at the Hillel Center at Indiana University. He will share the history and traditions related to Hanukkah. Welcome. Thanks for being here today. John Johnson is a retired professor from the Indiana University Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology. He is an expert on St. Nicholas. Welcome, John. Thank you. And Dr. David Vanderstel is the executive director of the Monroe County History Center, and we'll discuss local holiday celebrations. Again, thank you all for being here. Great to be here. If you would like to join the conversation today and share your holiday traditions, give us a call, 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also join our live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can even tweet us at Noon Edition. And I must say, Mary Catherine, you look wonderful. You're festive today. People can't see at home, but no, I to- yeah, you're I- in your holiday plaid yes, and, and sweater. Sure. We're, I got, I'm Here working go. the whole look today. You know, we got to look festive to feel festive. So It's that time of year. You know, I wanted to start with something that just happened, I believe, was it last weekend or two weekends ago? The Krampus? <laughs> I've never heard of that before, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have a chance to go, and I was just curious what that was all about. First of John, all, are you our man go? for that question? Can you tell us about... Well, Krampus is a medieval character who, I'm not sure when these traditions started, but he is a, a, a symbol of Satan, and he accompanies St. Nicholas as Nicholas goes around and gives gifts and presents for good little girls and boys, and Krampus will give a 
piece of coal or a switch for his parents or whatever to the bad little boys and girls. And he is very widespread in Europe. Um, he is um, seen in some statues in Germany uh, actually devouring children and, and has <laughs> That's a, dark. a bag on his back full of kids and their legs are sticking out and everything. Oh he must have gosh. terrified children in Europe. But he, he exists almost everywhere. Um, Grampus is in the Central Europe. In uh, northern Germany, he is called Knecht Ruprecht, or the name, the knave Rupert. Uh, in southern Germany, he's called Pilznickel. Uh, Pilznickel makes it to uh, Phil, um, Pennsylvania, by the way. Uh, he's called Sch uh, Schmutzli in Switzerland. That's a dirty old man. Schmutz is, is dirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Krampusch in Hungary, and he exists also in Austria, uh, the Czech Republic, Poland, Slovenia, Croatia, and Poland. And he also exists in Holland, which is where our St. Nicholas comes from. Uh, the Dutch call him Sinterklaas. And Center Claus comes to New Amsterdam or New Amsterdam, and and um, he becomes in Santa Claus, uh, based on this uh, Dutch pronunciation of Saint Nicholas. And who doesn't come with him is Zwarte Piet, which is the Krampus in in Holland. Uh, Black Peter is actually has evolved away from the satanic figure to a helper for Sinterklaas in Holland. And because he is black, this is causing some uh, difficulty currently in Holland, and people are protesting that he still exists, and they're causing trouble in various places. And... Um, uh, because the, the protesters say that this is a racist thing, and actually it's not. The black is for evil Satan and not for uh, anything to do with sub-Saharan Africa. But mm -hmm. um, I have a good friend in Holland who, by the way, is also named Jan Janssen, and he uh, told me all about this uh, last month when the African Studies Conference was in Indianapolis. And um, things are getting pretty hot in Holland. and. <laughs> problem is not going away. Huh. But Krampus is very old, and uh, I am, along with all the other people in Bloomington, astonished that he showed up here. <laughs> and apparently he's been here for three years. Yes. Oh, is it? Is oh, it yes. Third year? oh, yes, it is. I'm just it now was starting to hear. Well, yeah. if anyone went, you didn't go. No, I didn't. If anybody went, call in. I, it'd be fun to hear how, yeah, how we'd it love went, to or hear any other community, it. too. I, it's been growing every year. I know that. Mm -hmm. It gets bigger every year. It's, it's no, got I'm some, not going to miss it It's got next some legs in Bloomington. <laughs> I read about it in the paper. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. it's got some legs in Bloomington. Well, Rabbi, tonight's the fourth night of Hanukkah. Right. So tell us, tell us how your celebration is unfolding. Uh, Hanukkah is a, a great celebration at a dark time of the year with lights, candles, and uh, special foods, family gatherings. You know, it's really a family holiday. Um, it, uh, it commemorates the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem after a war that uh, kind of a ragtag army led by Judah Maccabee and his father Mattathias against the Greek armies of Antiochus uh, who uh, were in charge of the area of, in Israel then and uh, defied, defiled the temple, 
when the uh, Jews uh, won that battle, took back Jerusalem, mm -hmm. they rededicated the temple. So the holiday is not about the military victory as much as it's about the miracle of uh, regaining the temple. And in the temple there was a, a lamp, which we call a Chanukiah, or menorah. And uh, those lamps were uh, lit with oil. So the story uh, has been told uh, from uh, Talmudic uh, sages that uh, there was enough oil in the lamp for one night. And they lit the menorah and sent someone to get purified oil to bring back. And that one night's worth of oil actually lasted for eight nights. So that's the miracle of the, of the lights, the miracle of the oil. And um, we celebrate by lighting candles on Hanukkah. And the first night of Hanukkah, we light one candle, uh, and every night we add a candle. So by the eighth night, we have a, a Hanukkah with eight candles burning, plus the shamash, the service candle. There's one candle that's separated from the eight. We light that one first, and we use that candle to light the candles of the Hanukkah. Um, there was debate in uh, Talmudic times. Uh, the Talmud is a uh, series of arguments, oral arguments that uh, were compiled around the year 800. And there was a debate about how Hanukkah should be celebrated. One group of rabbis said, you, Hanukkah's eight nights long. On the first night, you should light eight candles. Hmm. On the second night, seven candles. And so on. Mm -hmm. And every night, one less candle. Like counting down the days of Hanukkah. The other rabbinic school said no. We should light one candle the first night, two candles the second, and so on. And their argument was, you never want to celebrate a holiday and decrease the sense of holiness uh, of the holiday. Build to a so crescendo, this, it's a yes. build uh, dramatic and uh, kind of a holy feeling as the candles mm -hmm. uh, continue to grow. That we we uh, this uh, rededication happened around the year 165. BCE. So this is an old holiday. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, that war was in 167 or 166, just around that mm -hmm. time. Um, and the Greek influence on the area of the Middle East, not just in Israel, but all over the Middle East, was great. And this was a uh, move against assimilation, mm -hmm. where Jews who were traditional Jews wanted to um, make a statement, I guess you could say, or a movement against Jews becoming Hellenists mm. and continuing to, uh, to practice Judaism. So it was, a, it was an important uh, anti-assimilation kind of a holiday. Uh, Jews, you know, are all over the world, and we always kind of adapt or adopt things from the cultures Dominant in which culture, we live, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we give presents on Hanukkah. That doesn't happen everywhere, but it happens here oh, really? in America. Hmm. And I think that's because of Christmas. Sure. Hanukkah has nothing to do with Christmas except for the timing of the holiday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But because it's so close to Christmas and because we Jews are Americans and we want to celebrate our Americanism with our Judaism, mm -hmm. uh, we started a practice of giving presents to our kids. So my family, on the first night of Hanukkah, we gave, we have two boys. They're all grown up now, but we gave a very nice present to each boy, a, a nice present the first night. And the other seven nights, little somethings, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, mm -hmm. something cute, something fun, whatever. Yeah. But uh, there are traditional songs and <clears throat> prayers that we sing, and there's a traditional food. And th that's called a latke. Latke is a potato pancake. Yeah. 
So we eat potato pancakes in America on Hanukkah, usually with sour cream or with applesauce. Mm -hmm. In Israel, they don't eat latkes. Latkes, I, I think, are, must be Eastern European. In Israel, they eat sufganiyot. Sufganiyot are jelly donuts. Quite different. Sounds like they got the better end of the deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> I... <laughs> Depends on your taste. What's the connection? The connection is, I think, the connection is that latkes and sufganiyot, jelly donuts, are made in oil. Ah, and this is the holiday of the celebration the of the oil. Yes, mm. of course. Of course, that makes so perfect that's, sense. That's, uh, I knew we were going to talk about food sometime. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, had to yeah, with holiday yeah, yeah. traditions. And David here from the Monroe County History Center, can you talk a little bit about some of the local traditions that happen here every year? Well, that's that's a very good question. And, and this is maybe where the, the callers can help us out because I was looking through our files and we don't have a lot of records about what actually happened here. Um, I was. We do. We do know that, for example, uh, churches held pageants and they held special events, um, gathering up clothing and food for the poor. Uh, we noticed also that uh, some of the local retailers. I found an ad for a grocery store on the west side of the square uh, that commented about. Uh, having oysters, fresh country pork and sausage, fine cured meats, sugar cured bacon, and a selection of fruits and vegetables from California. Mm. Uh, uh, but no, no mention treats. about special hams or turkey. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, we, we don't have any particular accounts of, of, of traditions. Uh, and, and we've been looking through records and diaries and that, and people just didn't seem to mention those things. Mm. I have one. Um, well, and and so anyway, what what we're doing is is uh, encouraging people to to provide us with those those memories and and uh, recollections. But one thing that I did find, and this was this is my first year in in Bloomington, the the canopy of lights, which has been around mm -hmm. since the 1980s, I understand, mm -hmm. uh, actually was something that actually started the early 1900s. We f have an actual photograph uh, in our collection of strands of lights going from the corner of the courthouse to the, the respective corners of the square. How wonderful. That's, I did not know that. So it's yeah. about 1909, so right wow. after the courthouse was built. So um, clearly this was a tradition that uh, was was renewed as uh, the efforts to revitalize the downtown. And then uh, someone the other night, I was at the Wiley House for a candlelight celebration, mm -hmm. and um, someone was going off to the Madrigal Dinner. Mm -hmm. And uh, I recall years and years ago that IU had uh, the Madrigal Dinners and checked their history that the Madrigal Dinner started about in the mid to late 1940s uh, and then vanished mm -hmm. several years ago, and mm -hmm. apparently there's an effort to bring that back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Madrigal Dinner usually uh, included uh, medieval wooden uh, instruments, uh, mostly flutes and pipes of various kinds, from my uh, students in my department yeah. from the ethnomusicology program. Wow. Ron, what were you going uh, to I was just going to say that on Christmas, uh, I don't know how long this has been going on, but I think quite a while, our synagogue, Beth Shalom, um, takes over the kitchen at the Shalom Center on, on Walnut. And uh, that morning, Christmas Day, uh, we cook all the food for the clients at the Shalom Center and serve all the food and clean up all the plates and everything. So uh, because, we, I mean, it's sure. we're not celebrating the holiday, mm -hmm. so we're helping yeah. 
so that others can celebrate right. the holiday. Yeah. That's and lovely. we have a great couple, the Newmans from Beth Shalom, who uh, are musicians. And they set up in the lobby, play the accordion and the piano, and do Christmas carols all morning long. It's, and it's, it's really beautiful. What a lovely gift. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, we, found, we found some accounts of um, about 1900, 1901 of um, trees decorated with cranberries and popcorn mm-hmm. located on the courthouse square. So that would have been the previous courthouse. Uh, and then merchants and people providing clothing uh, and shoes for the needy, mm-hmm. and reports of individuals walking from the countryside into the downtown area to receive these these gifts. What about Christmas caroling? Locally, do we have? Is that? I mean, what, do we know the the uh, origins of Christmas caroling? As you know, in groups going from home to home. I know the origin of the tree. Okay. I'm not sure about the caroling. Okay. Uh, actually, that's a German tradition. I'm not sure when it began. I don't think it was a Christian tradition. I think it had to do with the uh, burning of a branch of uh, an evergreen tree at the beginning of the new year in the old German religion. Hmm. But it survived through Christianity. It was brought to England by Prince Albert when he married um, uh, Queen Victoria. There were no Christmas trees in England before that time. So you decorate the Christmas tree uh, traditionally on Christmas Eve, and then you take a branch of it on Twelfth Night, which is the night of the visit of the three kings, uh, and burn it in, in the local hearth. And the tree from England just spread all over the English-speaking world, and uh, we, we have them here in this country as well. Yes. They've gone from uh, biology, biological uh, creatures to plastic and wire, which is what we have in my house because I have allergies. You know, I looked up really now. I found this on the Internet. So as we know, everything's truthful, right, okay. on the Internet. But, yes. but I did read where the uh, first artificial tree came from a toilet brush company. They're the ones that came up it with that. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. What do you know? Well, actually, some of the first actual first uh, artificial trees, besides the manufactured ones, were were feather trees. Made oh, yes, that is, that's so exactly German, the feather trees. That for some reason that makes me think of Germany. European, right? It yeah. was it was like uh, late eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. It was a way of trying to preserve the trees, and so they used goose feathers that they dyed. Um, that was the, that was what the article said, but yeah. then the feathers would fall off and be a mess in the house, and so the the toilet brush company said, "Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> if we put some of these together, we hey, join us, give us a call, uh, share your comments online, wfiu.org slash noon edition, tweet us at noon edition. You can also call us eight one two eight five five zero eight one one or toll free at one eight seven seven two eight five Nine three four eight. Well, if you haven't guessed by now, or if you've been listening for the last few minutes, we have wonderful experts in the studio with us. We're so we're so lucky to have you all here today. Thank you, and uh, uh, John, you were kind enough to to give us kind of a list of talking points. And one thing that has jumped out uh, to me from your talking points is how Coca Cola stole stole Christmas in the United States. I have to hear about that. Well, it's a long story, and I'll make it short. Okay. Uh, In the year 325, um, 
there was a council in Nicaea, and we that's where we learn about Nicholas because he he um, this council was brought together by Constantine mm-hmm. and Nicholas. They argued over doctrine and stuff, and, and eventually the Nicene Creed came from that. And we know that Nicholas was there because he slugged somebody in an argument, and Constantine put him in jail for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but his body was stolen uh, from. Anatolia, southern Turkey, in the ninth century and taken to Italy. And I've actually visited his tomb in a small town on the eastern coast of Italy uh, called Bari. Uh, from there, his, his cult, if you will, spread all over Europe. There are more churches in Europe named after Nicholas than there are named after Jesus. Oops. But anyway, he eventually <laughs> makes it to Holland, and there's so many legends about him. As I was saying before, he, his name, Sinterklaas, comes to America, and almost from the beginning, Nicholas becomes uh, a capitalist in this country. He's now the patron saint of capitalism, and he was selling things almost since he came here. Uh, in uh, 18, oh, where are my notes? Um, in 18, uh, I'll find it here in a minute. Um, 1837, there was a professor at a university in lower Manhattan who lived in upper Manhattan, which was a neighborhood at that time, who wrote a, a poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas. We know it as the night before Christmas. Um, he was a, a stuffy, proud professor, so he didn't take credit for this poem. He wrote it for his children, and about uh, 10 or 12 years later, he finally admitted, yes, he, he wrote this poem. And it's very interesting because in his poem, Nicholas is an elf. He's jolly a, old elf. A yeah. jolly old elf. And in uh, about the time that the American Civil War started, there was a, an artist, a newspaper artist. Um, uh, the, fo- the cameras were not quite ready for the newspaper yet, so there had a lot of illustrators. Mm-hmm. This man's name was Thomas Nast. And um, he published uh, quite a number of pictures of this jolly old elf. Um, copying the idea from Clement Clark Moore's poem. Mm-hmm. So was he a smaller, physically a smaller figure than yes. you think of him now? He was about maybe three feet tall. Okay. And to stuff stockings, he had to hop up on a chair to do this. Oh, interesting. In 1931, believe it or not, it was illegal in this country to advertise to children. This was considered very unfair. So the Coca-Cola Bottling Company got around this by uh, hiring a Swedish-American, whose name was Hodden Sundblom, to paint Santa Claus and uh, put a Coca-Cola bottle in his hand. So this is kind of the way this started. Um, And they are responsible for growing him up into normal human being size. They claim that his red coat is uh, the Coca-Cola red, but they lie. (laughs) Red is the color of um, clothing that a bishop wears. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, Santa Claus, there are people who don't know that Santa Claus 
is really St. Nicholas. And his main job in the country is uh, to bring uh, toys that, that parents have bought at stores. And he Spoiler alert if your kids are listening. <laughs> uh, well, I, I actually wanna... saw Santa Claus once. You did? When I was very, very young, my parents sent me on a fool's errand because I had forgot to put something under the tree. And when I came back to the, we lived in a second story apartment building with a, a big window with no screen on it. And they said, John, hurry, hurry. He's, he was just here. He just jumped out the window. So I rushed over to the window and I looked out the window and I swear by everything that's holy, I saw the back end of that sleigh swoop, disappear into the night and I heard the jingle bells. So I know he's real. I've seen him. I'll have to put a plug in here for the History Center since he's talked about the history of St. Nicholas. We have uh, we have a display of um, collection of Santas and St. Nicholas's uh, from a private collector and then also a series of images of the evolution of Santa Claus over the years, including images from the uh, Coca-Cola uh, and all the way back to the early, early phases of, of the St. Nicholas and Santa Claus. Well, so. we will and go ahead real quickly. We need to go to break. But please tell us the hours that you're going to be open over the holidays. That's a, such a great thing to take your children and grandchildren. Our to go normal see. hours are Tuesday through Saturday, 10 till 4. But we will be open next. Well, we're open uh, tomorrow. Saturday, and we are open Tuesday. We will be closed for Christmas Eve and Christmas, and then we'll be open the day after, so the 26th and the 27th. Okay. Great. So So we'll take a a quick break right now, and then we'll come back and we'll continue our discussion on holiday traditions right here on WFIU. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. And welcome back to Noon Edition. We're discussing winter holidays. Share your holiday traditions. You can log on live to our chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. You can tweet us at Noon Edition or just give us a call and uh, tell us your holiday tradition right here on the air, 812-855-0811 or toll free at one 877 Two eight five nine three four eight, and David, you were saying earlier that you're new. You you came to Bloomington about a year ago. I Is started my job the end of March, and I my wife and I moved down in July. So we're still learning about the community. Very excited to be here, though. 
Well, and you know, traditions have to start somewhere. Right. <laughs> so what are some maybe new traditions that Bloomington or Monroe County or any community could start on their own during oh, sure. the holidays? Well, uh, again, I think traditions are things that are intended to last. Mm-hmm. And so it could be a combination of family gatherings. It can be those traditional recipes. I know mm-hmm. my wife and I are in the process of trying to figure out what we're going to be doing and mm-hmm. selecting the the family favorites for the holidays. But you know, community service um, or making, making trips to certain locations. I know having lived in Indianapolis for 35 years, uh, there are certain traditions there that have mm-hmm. sort of taken root, like the lighting of Monument Circle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to some people here who uh, recall li- or have lived here for, for many, many years and recall as uh, children making the trip to the big city uh, mm-hmm. to go to uh, Block Company mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, Ellis Airs to see the Santa Land and ride on the train and, and see uh, to see uh, Santa Claus. Um, and, you know, in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, there were Santa Claus parades. I remember I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, we had a Santa Claus parade. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, you've got the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. But I think that people can generally be creative, whether it's going out and, and uh, caroling or developing some family fun time that, that people want to continue mm-hmm. that tradition. So. Rabbi? Uh, we uh, have an unusual game that we play on Hanukkah with a top called a dreidel. <laughs> so a dreidel is a top you spin. It has four sides to it. Each side has a letter, a Hebrew letter on it. I'll tell you about that in a second. But we think it started because uh, when uh, at that time that we, when we were under that oppression and Judaism, uh, we weren't allowed to practice Judaism, uh, but the Greeks allowed gambling. So when Jews got together to, you know, kind of underground practice their religion, if uh, Greeks would come by, they would start spinning these tops and say, oh, no, 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 we're not doing anything Jewish here. We're just gambling. Anyway, the idea of uh, playing with playing with dreidels came from that. And uh, I'm really old and I did not know that. Thank you for telling that story. The, uh, the uh, dreidel has four sides. So each side has a letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, nun, Gimel, Hey and Shin, which stands for the words Nes Gadol Hayasham in Hebrew. That means a great miracle happened there. There meaning in Israel uh, in the year 164, like I said, or 5 uh, BCE. And in Israel, their dreidels have different letters. Their dreidels have letters that represent the words Nes Gadol Hayapo, which means a great miracle happened here. Yeah. So, which is where it happened, you know. So we, I mean, that's a, a common, and we do play with something that we call Hanukkah gelt. Hanukkah gelt is a Yiddish word for money. Yeah. So children get these chocolate coins wrapped in gold, like aluminum. Sure. And uh, we play with those. So you spin the dreidel, and depending on which letter, you know, shows up, you either... Uh, you have to put an ante in, so you either take a piece of gelt, or you give a piece of gelt, or you take the whole pot, or you know. So there are different ways to play the game in different places, I guess. But it's just a fun sure. tradition that that uh, that comes with Hanukkah. That's great, John. And did you want to come? Speaking in? of of uh, traditions, have to start somewhere. 
1939, a man named Robert L. May was hired by the Montgomery Ward Company to write a booklet uh, as an advertising gimmick to give to children when they came into the, the, mm-hmm. the store. Mm-hmm. Remember, uh, advertising was uh, still not legal. So this was uh, the origin of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And uh, he's been around since 1939, so we actually know when that tradition started, and uh, he's still around. He was on a stamp this year, uh, a U.S. postage stamp. What so about not the, going away. the tradition of um, Santa Clauses in stores and public places for children to, to visit with and express their wishes? Uh, specifically, I don't know, but you just remember that he has been selling things. Right. Uh-huh. If you put Santa in the store and bring children in and they get photographs and, oh, there's this thing on the shelf over here and there's this sale over here. So it's a way to draw people in to a, a store and have them spend money. Yeah. yeah, I think Macy's probably was the the key there because the I can't remember how old their Christmas parade is, but Santa always, of course, appears at the end of the parade, mm-hmm. uh, and again starts that uh, that buying season for Christmas. Kicks it, kicks it right off. What about uh, here's another question for you: the putting uh, lights on trees. Do we know the? Uh-huh. Yes, uh, lights are safe. To put on trees. The original ones were candles. And the candles can light dry um, needles from uh, trees. Yeah. And there were numbers of fires. That sounds about as bad as a so. turkey fryer yeah. in the garage. But go ahead. <laughs> Replaced by lights. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we ran across uh, one account, uh, no specific date, but it's early 20th century. And the, the woman writes, we always had a big cedar tree. And of course, we had no electric lights to decorate. So we used candles, <laughs> which was dangerous. Um, back in Indianapolis, we were very active with the German Heritage Society. And every Christmas for their St. Nicholas Day, which is December 6th, they had a tree lighting at the Athenaeum. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have St. Nicholas in the in the formal regalia of, of the bishop. Um, but they had a live tree and they lit the candles for a period of about five minutes and sang O Tannenbaum. And it was very, and very kept moving. their fingers crossed. And uh, well, there was usually <laughs> someone from the fire department there. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it was very, very moving to see an, a live tree with, uh, with the candles. I bet it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It would seem to me that uh, all of our holidays at this time of the year have lights in them, and it's the darkest time right. of the year. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that we kind of <clears throat> dispel the darkness, you know, mm-hmm. literally, is by lighting up our homes, mm-hmm. lighting up our Hanukkiot, lighting up our trees. and Right. Ultimately, it's about the solstice and, yeah, yeah, really. and, and lighting the path. for. The- uh, one point about the, the dreidels, uh, they have become the subject of many artists, and uh, lots of people collect dreidels. Mm-hmm. And they come in all shapes and sizes mm-hmm. and all uh, kinds of uh, costs. Some of them are pretty expensive. <laughs> Most of the dreidels that, I mean, that I've seen or had were just little plastic Dreidels this big, you know, they're mm-hmm. uh, given out every year. They're they're really not as elaborate as the ones you're talking about, but you know, artists, uh, you know, are certainly free to uh, yeah. create yeah. their visions in 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 every which way. So it's just another way. 
John, is your professor uh, emeritus of ethnomusicology? Is that correct? No, folklore. Folklore. I'm sorry. I thought I heard something about ethnomusicology. Well, they're... That's, we're in the same department. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, I was just going to ask a little bit about uh, musical traditions um, and how those have evolved over time. It seems, you know, every culture and every um, uh, everybody who celebrates this season has music that's a very important part of their celebration. Right. Yes. Well, um, music it's very difficult to to describe music because sure. <laughs> music doesn't speak to language; it speaks to the heart. Yes, and uh, it's just part of ancient uh, tradition, and it's no surprise that uh, Christmas carols would would also uh, celebrate the season. Uh, originally, people chanted uh, in monasteries and various places, but uh, uh, hymning started in. Um, uh, the late Middle Ages, I think, and uh, Christmas carols are a part of, of uh, hymnology in the history of Western music. Yeah. In short, I haven't the vaguest idea <laughs> what, how to answer that question. But then again, you've got some songs like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer yes. and Frosty the Snowman and, yes. and things such as that that were written sort of that commercialization as yes. well. So. And yet, they, yeah, they're every bit as beloved, I think, oh, right. to, to people of a, of a certain age on as any of the, the more classic uh, hymns we might, or, or Christmas carols we might think and of. And how could we go a season without Bing Crosby singing White, White Christmas? Christmas. Uh, yeah. so. right. We also have very old traditional songs about Hanukkah, and then there's, I'm not a fan, but it's Adam Sandler, you know, they wrote the Hanukkah <laughs> song for Saturday that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> we have the same kind of experience. Um, yeah. The phone number to call, 812-855-0811 or toll-free, 877-285-9348. We'd love to hear about your holiday traditions and what we're missing, what we're not talking about right now. Rabbi, you were speaking about, too, how there are different traditions depending on where you, on where you live in, across the nation, across the world. Does that happen throughout a, a region, too, a state or, or community? Is it, does it change that much? Well, you know... <laughs> We live in America. Everybody mm-hmm. came from someplace, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's especially true of uh, of the Jewish uh, communities in in America. So, you know, my my grandparents came from Czechoslovakia to Chicago. My my wife's parents came from Russia to Brazil to Chicago. You know, so I mean, uh, we we bring our traditions with us. The, the The main ideas of the holidays, the main practice and prayers, are are the same. The Hebrew is the same. Although pronunciation of it can be different from different committee, different sure. places, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, accompanying traditions uh, may be different. And I mean, especially uh, we could talk about other holidays like Passover. There is a completely uh, different kind of Passover is a holiday in the spring that celebrates freedom, the Jews becoming free from Egypt, the Hebrews becoming free from Egypt. Uh, those Jews that uh, are from Eastern Europe, Europe have certain traditions and foods that they eat on that holiday. And those Jews who came from the Spanish tradition, the Sephardic Jews or the, uh, the Mediterranean uh, communities eat different foods. And food's very important on Passover because the foods represent the story 
of the Passover. So I think our communities gather traditions where they are, and we, you know, we've moved around a lot, unfortunately, I guess, but we've moved around a lot, and some of those traditions travel with us. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... I know that... Oh, I'm just thinking of my heritage is Swedish, and uh, the crown with the candles. What is... Do you know what... San Lucia. San Lucia. I should know that. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting uh, tradition. My wife is Swedish, and uh, the Scandinavians do not have Santa Claus. Uh, their gifts are brought by a, a small elf who's called a tomta. In fact, he's called a yule tomta, a Christmas elf. Mm-hmm. And he rides a goat. Yes, and, uh, I wanted to ask about that. Really? He rides a goat. Yes, he rides a goat. All right. And, You'd think uh, he'd have reindeer in that area, but okay. <laughs> yes. And uh, the um, Tomta, you know, after World War II, the American economy sort of took over Europe. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our traditions uh, sort of um, uh, trumped European traditions. My friend in Holland, Jan, sent me a postcard once with a picture of Sinterklaas and Santa Claus hand wrestling. Oh, that's fantastic. Arm wrestling. Yeah, that's great. I was in Berlin uh, on the 6th of, actually the evening of the 5th, um, one, one year, and uh, a friend of mine and I went to this small family restaurant, and the restaurant had... Um, it also was a, a small grocery store. And while we were sitting there having our supper, all these children kept coming in and giving shoes to the proprietress who was dressed up like who they call now uh, Weihnachtsmann, which is Christmas man. He's Santa Claus. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's an American World War II import. And uh, she would put very expensive chocolates into their shoes and they would run off. <laughs> And then in would come another group of children. It's sort of trick-or-treating style. Oh, yeah. So when it was over and we went up to pay our bill, I gave the lady my shoe. I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> and I asked her, I said, Wenn ich dir mein Schuh geben, werden sie mich auch einige Schokolade geben. And so she said yes. And she put in <laughs> this little wicker basket with a, an image of the Weihnachtsmann on top and some very expensive chocolates right, on the right. inside. <laughs> Never well, hurts nice. to ask. Yeah. <laughs> well, we spent a couple of Christmases in Europe where my brother-in-law was uh, stationed with the, with the military and uh, had the fortune of being there for Christmas. But then on the um, uh, the visit of the, of the three kings, uh, so that would have been... Twelfth night. The twelfth night, uh, we saw children wandering around dressed up as kings in the streets of the different towns that we were in in Germany. Wow. And so they were actually uh, the the three kings. They would go door to door, and it was like trick or treat. They would get candy or gifts from the people, and then as they left, they would write their initials C M B over the door or on the doorpost. And so you would see these symbols all throughout the towns and the villages of where these children had dressed up as the three kings, had visited these homes. Uh, so uh, that's a great tradition. What's the significance of writing the sea? Those are the, the three names uh, of, the, of the three kings. Uh, oh, okay. Malthus, Balthazar, Melchior, yeah. and Balthazar. Uh, 
both us are. So. You guys are going to be my partners in my next round of Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that right now. Okay, John, now you also mentioned um, in France that they have an interesting tradition. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, I'm not sure what they do on Christmas Day, but on Twelfth Night, they will bake a Christmas cake and they will hide an image of uh, baby Jesus on the inside. And then they cut the cake up and and distribute it around the table. And whoever gently bites down into this and finds the baby uh, Jesus gets to be the one of the kings uh, for the day. Which explains the king cake from New Orleans. Uh, it does, except that's um, has to do with Easter. But it right. is a French but, tradition. Yes, mm-hmm. but I yeah, but you can certainly see the evolution of yes. that and how that. And went. a king cake, by the way, is actually a, a very nice bread. It's not yes. actually a cake. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And um, on top of this tree, they put little figurines that represent the creche, and uh, some of those are um, ceramic. And they're very small, they're about an inch tall, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I have a set of these that I bought in an antique shop uh, uh, fairly recently. So uh, it's a very nice French tradition. Leave it to the French. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> C'est la vie. Hey, we would like to go to the, uh, the phones. We have Lee from Bloomington on the line. Hi, Lee. You are live on Noon Edition. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the traditions that no longer is done, uh, thanks to the government, are live nativities in public and live and live nativities in churches uh, on the front lawn. I remember as a young boy, our family at Crossroads Methodist here in Bloomington would have a live nativity and with including animals. And uh, that was people would come by as they would look at, uh, oh, I don't know, lawn decorations or something like that. So that's something, a tradition that has kind of gone by the board, I think, but I wanted to share that with you. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I know there was something in the paper about that today that uh, uh, I believe Sherwood Oaks had done that for several years and they aren't doing it currently, but who knows? Maybe that'll come back. It's a, I know uh, they would have long lines when they would uh, have the live nativity. So thanks for your call, Lee. It's a good yes, tradition. Sir. Thank yes, you. Ma'am. Thank you. Rabbi, how do you feel about that? <laughs> About uh, live nativity yeah, scenes? Yeah, yeah, and the controversy with that being in on public spaces. Oh, on public spaces. Well, uh, you know, I, I believe that uh, uh, the separation between church and state is important. I don't think there should be Hanukkiot uh, or uh, Ten Commandment tablets uh, in our state houses. Um, so, but that's the way I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to tell you, I grew up in Chicago. And I love Christmas. Uh, I mean, I don't know about the live nativity scenes, but uh, my family and I, I mean, we never celebrated Christmas ever, but we always went downtown to see all the store windows decorated mm-hmm. and the lights in the city and uh, the music. And, you know, I think because it's such a family holiday and it's such a warm, you know, it's just a, a warm family feeling that, that my family and I always really enjoyed being in the city right. at Christmas oh, sure. time. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know? Traditionally, um, there is a saint who is remembered as having uh, suggested the first crush, and that would be um, Plast. I'm just getting old. I can't Happens to all of us. Uh, yes, it's... Um, uh, 
I'll think of his name in sure, a minute. Sure, of course. Well, Give you think about that. We, we're, we're, we're running short on time, and we want to get to Susan um, in Brown County, who would like to talk about her uh, tradition. Hi, Susan. You're on Noon Edition. Go ahead. Hi there. I grew up in Columbus. I live in Brown County now. My father was, uh, his grandfather was Amish. And when I was really small, Santa Claus not only brought gifts, he brought the tree, too. Oh, oh yeah. And so had, you wouldn't have your tree until Christmas Eve, is that right? No, Christmas Day. Christmas, Christmas Day, yeah. When I was very small. My mother was a teacher, an elementary teacher, and eventually she started bringing the tree home from her classroom <laughs> wow. when school was let out. But anyway, we also got boots. They were cardboard boots that I think had been handed down, or paper mache boots that I think had been handed down, and there was candy in those. And... We left the tree up until New Year's Day, mm-hmm. and on Christmas Eve, my father always read the night before Christmas, right before we went to bed. Here, here. <laughs> and we, in Columbus, we always gathered at Zaharico's oh, yeah. downtown because it was decorated and had the calliope, and we'd always make a trip to Indianapolis to see the store windows. And um, my mother grew up in Jennings County, kind of in a rural area, Hayden, and our stockings always had peanuts in the shell, tangerines, and oranges in them. So those are things I remember. I'm pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> those are great memories, Susan. Thank yeah. you so much. I think a lot. There was a lot of nodding going on here mm-hmm. in the in the studio. Those those rang bells for several of us. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Susan. How could I forget the name of Francis? San Francis started the crushes. Uh, the Pope is named after him. <laughs> no, no problem. Well, we only have about four minutes left, so maybe kind of a, a last word. What's Ra- your personal favorite holiday yeah, let's, tradition? Let's That's go what down I, the yeah, line. Let's hear what you love the most about the season. Well, for me, Hanukkah is all about children. And, uh, you know, when you, uh, when you light the Hanukkah and, uh, and we, we, we say the blessings that we say over them and sing the Hanukkah songs. I mean, it, in my mind, the you know, reflection of those lights on children's faces and uh, uh, smiles and warmth and uh, can't beat it. You know, Doesn't I mean, get any better than can't that. Can't beat it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you, John? Christmas would have to be my choice, uh, not so much because of anything that has to do with Christmas, but because all of my family come together at that time. Mm-hmm. And I really uh, like being... Uh, Having them all come back and and uh, and celebrate something, anything. It wouldn't matter if it was Christmas or Easter or uh, last Thursday. I mean, <laughs> it's just a matter of everybody making the effort to be together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Christmas the the same for us. It's it's always been um, our favorite. My wife and I and our kids. Uh, our home in Indianapolis was sort of. Christmas Central for mm-hmm. the entire extended family. In mm-hmm. fact, um, when we said that we were moving to to Bloomington and beginning to downsize, they said you can't move because, <laughs> our, because our home was what they had recognized. Mm-hmm. As, and so it's the lights, it's the it's the festivities, it's the it's the music, it's the the fun part of putting up the tree, um, hanging the stockings, putting out my wooden shoes by the uh, by the fireplace and. And, uh, and just having the family. Yeah. It's wonderful. How about you, Joe? Uh, Christmas Eve with the family, singing carols around the trees. Always, I've, We've been doing that since I can remember. Tradition. Little boy, yeah. 
And then we always wait until Christmas morning to put the Jesus in the nativity. So mm-hmm. the, the nativity is always empty until mm-hmm. uh, Christmas Day. And then me and my sister used to move the three kings every day a little closer and closer to the nativity. They start the other side of the living room, and then they kind of work their way uh, through. So, that, so that's kind of my my fun tradition. And, and, and yours, we still have time. Um, I think I'm in a sweet spot for Christmas right now. I'm between uh, the generations, and so I think I feel I love the feeling of being. Um, bonded both to my mother, who's not here anymore, but but you know she's certainly with me during this time. And then being a, a mother and a grandmother, and um, the connection that I feel with these children, and it's a lovely place to be right in the middle. So that's what I like. About well, that's all the time that we have for today. I'm Joe Wren, in for Bob Zaltzberg, alongside Mary Catherine Carmichael. Our engineer is Mike Passcash, and our producers are Lacey Scarmana and Alex. Alexander McCall. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget the discussion continues online at WFIU.org or on our Twitter handle at WFIU. This is Noon Edition. I'm Joe Rent. Thanks for listening. Have a good day. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu.